This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. All right, good morning. Uh, we, last week we finished our series on the Ten Commandments. In two weeks we're going to kick off our Advent message series, so I hope you'll be there for that. Um, if you know me, you know I, I like to plan, and I feel like that's how the Holy Spirit speaks most often to me is through planning. Um, when I either get up on a Sunday or have an opportunity to speak without planning is normally when I go home and Angie tells me, like, you shouldn't say that stuff in public. So uh, it, it just always makes me a, a little bit nervous. And, and I know some of you, like, to you, the power of the Holy Spirit and spontaneity go hand in hand, and that is awesome. God just doesn't trust me, okay? So, so he always speaks to me in advance. But um, I know that I can, I can pretty easily become a, a slave to structure and a slave to planning. And so a couple times a year, um, I build in these Sundays where I intentionally don't think about what we're going to preach about until we get right to that week of, just to kind of to force myself to, to have these opportunities to, to listen to God and, and kind of building some rhythms into our church too. We believe God, God speaks in kind of these long, orderly ways, but sometimes there's just these short little seasons where we think he wants to say something very specifically for a particular day. And so um, that's what today is. We've had today and next week set aside as just these kind of Let's just see what the Lord is going to say to us. And what we've kind of settled on um, really just over the last week or so is we really feel like God is wanting to speak to many of us that his peace comes in every hill and every valley of life, right? That, that he is always going to be with us. So when, when Angie and I do pre-marriage counseling, one of the things that, that we talk to couples about is that in marriage, your disappointment is directly related to the distance between your expectations and your experience, Right, So if, if you go in, some of you had this experience, you went in thinking you were marrying Prince Charming, right? and he was going to satisfy all of your needs and meet everything and treat you like a princess, and he turned out to be a frog. Right, Your fairy tale went in reverse. He actually went from Prince Charming to the frog. And so what we talk uh, with couples about is this idea of we want to have realistic expectations. So a lot of our pre-marriage counseling, we're talking to them about, hey, when it comes to communication, your husband cannot read your mind and you cannot read his, right? So uh, don't ever think you can because you're setting yourself up for trouble. You're, we'll tell them you're going to fight at some point and you've got to figure out how to work through that. There's going to be difficult days. And, and so what, we, what we're trying to do there is not grind the life out of these joy-filled, engaged couples, but instead help them understand, look, marriage is awesome. It really is, but it's also hard. And as soon as you will set your spouse free from that false expectation of they're the one who's going to save me, they're the one who's going to give me all of my emotional security, all of the support that I need, when you set them free from that, then you open yourself, you open your spouse up to this really incredible experience of two people being made one by the power of Christ at work in your life. And so you, you give up this false expectation and your experience winds up being far better. What I found as a, a pastor is it's not just in marriage that we have these false expectations, but it's also in our relationship with Jesus. See, what I love those stories that Grady just told us of people coming to faith in Christ. As a pastor, there's, there's few things in life I love more than seeing people, they're just kind of walking along the normal course of their life, and they encounter Jesus, and life becomes dramatically better because of that encounter, right? So to, to try to help you with this, right, so we've got a whiteboard here. Um, I'm not an artist, so my, my love for art ended in fifth grade. We had to draw portraits of ourselves. 
So the art teacher sent us to the bathroom with a sheet of paper and said, look in the mirror and draw what you see. And we brought him back in and she was telling all the kids, that's so good. Good job. Good job. And uh, I brought her mine and she said, oh, honey, let me do that for you. Which apparently meant I was terrible at it, which I kind of knew because it did not look like a human on my pad of paper. Uh, and, and so that was humiliating enough. But then she said, I'll draw you. So she gets out her pad and she starts to sketch my face. And she, she does the forehead. She does, and then she goes over the side and she goes, oh, there's some big old ears. And she draws them on there and says, just like my dad. Now, she was an older lady, so her dad had to have been in his 70s or 80s. So fifth grade me, all of my affinity for art died, right? And, and I, it's good, because I didn't have the talent anyway. So I, I'm not going to try to draw for you, but instead what I want to show you is, for most of us, there's, there's this point in life where we encounter Jesus, right? Now, if, if you grew up and you got saved at a young age, you might not be aware that this has actually happened. But your life is dramatically better and dramatically different because of the involvement of Christ in your life, right? I, I know, like I got saved as a little kid, followed Jesus all my life, had parents who raised me to know him, to love him, to listen to his voice. And I know because of that, my life is better than if they had not done those things, right? But what I really love to see is when a teenager, an adult comes to know the Lord for the first time, and they do have this experience of they're just kind of going along, they encounter Jesus and life gets better, right? They are just up and to the right. And so we, we talk to them and they'll start to tell us our stories of, hey, I said yes to Jesus and now my wife and I don't fight as much. I said yes to Jesus and now work is going better, right? Teenagers who tell us, I surrendered my life to Jesus and my grades improved, right? Now it's, it's not this magical formula, but as the spirit works in us, he gives us the ability to be the people God has called us to be. And so it will result in your life going up and to the right, right? I mean, literally stories of people saying, since I became a Christian, I sleep better, right? I am healthier. My blood pressure has went down. I've lost weight. I heard the stories from kids at our church of since my family came to Jesus, my parents don't yell at each other like they used to. These are wonderful, wonderful stories. Life gets better. Finances that improve. All kinds of ways life goes up and to the right. And that is good. And that is wonderful. It's what Jesus tells us that he came to give us life and life to the full. And yet what, what sadly happens as well is when this is your initial experience, you think it's going to be your constant experience. Life has been good. Life has been awesome. And, and we begin to believe this, this false idea that Jesus promised we'll never have another hard day again. But that's not necessarily what happens. And so what happens is life comes. And, and yes, life was better. And yes, you're walking with Jesus. But there might still be a morning that you wake up and your husband is still difficult. Right? He's still not one to talk to you, still not one to help you. Your boss is still a jerk. Somebody else gets the promotion. Your finances are still tight. Money's not quite what you wanted it to be. And in this process, a lot of times people get mad at God for not keeping promises that he never made. Right? God never told you, if you follow me, I will take care of all of your problems. Right? He never told you, if you follow me, you'll never have another hard day. He never promised any of those things. Instead, he promised, I will be with you. And I will, I will save you. I will call you out. I will adopt you. You will be mine. But the promises of 
no more tears, of no more sorrow, of no more sin, of no more suffering, of being in imperfect relationship with God, with each other, with all of creation. Those are the promises of the second coming of Christ, right? So as Christians, we have that hope. But the promise of his first arrival of Advent that we're getting ready to celebrate is just, I will be with you. And, and so what happens a lot of times, and we see this, is as people come to know the Lord and life is going up, when it starts to go down, they, they face these moments of decision. And, and sadly, a lot of people wind up walking away from Jesus when life goes down. And they walk away from him when they need him the most. And and so we kind of wind up navigating this this tension and trying to walk people through it of saying, hey, just because life is bad, it's not proof that God is absent. This is just another opportunity for him to be present. It's another opportunity for you to experience his grace and his mercy. And and just this week praying, I really feel like there's even some of you here this morning, you're kind of right in that season of, man, it was good for a while and now it's kind of bad. And, And you're wavering on that line of, do I continue this life in Christ or do I just go back to the way I've always done things? And that's the decision some people will make. Of, well, if Jesus isn't going to make everything better, then I'm not going to sacrifice anything for him now. And if he's not going to improve all this, then why should I get up and go to church? Why should I read my Bible? Why should I pray? Why should I not take whatever I want? Why should I not engage in whatever relationship I want? If life's going to be bad, then I might as well have fun in the process. The promise of scriptures, though, I, I hope that, that we'll see today is that God is with you in every hill, in every valley. It is a super simple message, right? And at the same time, one of the most profound and life-changing truths that we can embrace. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right into Philippians 4, where Paul teaches us about this. Lord, will you come in these next few moments? And just with the, the simplicity of the scriptures, Lord, will you come and teach us about your presence and about your power? Will you teach us that you are with us and that right here in this moment, in this space, with all of the hassles and the headaches we're dealing with, that you are present and that you have a plan for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Philippians chapter 4, we've got this first passage here on the screen for you. Paul says in chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Now we referenced part of this passage last week, and so I want to remind you, Paul is in prison when he writes this. Okay, So he is definitely in a down moment in life. Life is not all that he hoped it would be or maybe all that other believers think it should be. And yet Paul teaches us a a very important principle here. He's saying, look, rejoice in the Lord always because he is near to you. And then he tells us, don't be anxious about anything. And, And so he's teaching us this idea of, hey, the Lord is always near and life is difficult. The nearness of the Lord does not mean that life will never be hard again. But it means he will be near you in these moments, that, that your circumstances do not affect his presence. In doing so, Paul reiterates what David tells us in Psalm 139. And so in Psalm 139, it's one of the most beautiful passages of scripture that, that comforts us. David, said, David says here, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. 
If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So Paul is is teaching us the same thing that David is teaching us. No matter where you are, God is there. Right, so, so David gives us this idea of if I go up to the highest heavens, if my life is as successful as it could possibly be, when I get there, God is there. Right? In my most triumphant moments, the Lord stands above that and the Lord stands over that. He also tells us if I make my bed in the depths, God is there. Right? Not, so this is, this is really important for us. It's not just when life goes down. David doesn't just say, if I'm a little sad, he says, if I make my bed in the depths, if I, if I make my bed in hell itself, God is there. He says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the left or to the right, God is there, right? And so he's painting this kind of big theology for us of everywhere you go, God is, There's nowhere you're going to escape his presence. There's nowhere you're going to escape his power. And then what Paul does is he takes that big theological idea and he makes it very, very personal for you. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but instead rejoice because the Lord is near. Because what this means for us is if the Lord is near wherever we go, then it means the Lord is here with whatever we're experiencing. And so the the way the Holy Spirit works is he comes to us and begins to teach us. These are not just ideas we know, but they're experiences that we actually have. And we're going to see this in a minute as we work through Philippians 4. But what it means is in my most incredible success, I experience the peace and the presence of God. That he comes in really personal ways to me. It means in my lowest moment that he comes and surrounds me with his mercy, surrounds me with his grace. It means on the, the day of the child's birth, when everything is as I hoped it would be, God is with me and I know him. And on the day of death and grief, his presence draws near to me in an incredibly powerful way. If the Lord is near, then the Lord is here, right? And that is about the extent of my artistic ability. But I, you ever have those moments in life where something is so simple and so true that you struggle to communicate it to someone? Right? You ever had your kids ask you those questions of, like, how do you, how do you know that gravity works? Like, well, because look, I dropped this and it fell. Yeah, but how do you know? Like, I... I've reached the end of my rope of explanation. All I can do is drop the thing a hundred times and hope eventually you get that it just works. How do you know that God is with you? I know it because the scriptures say it because I've experienced it. Many of you know it for the same reason. And yet when you're walking with someone through that, there comes this point of like, I just can't even explain it to you anymore. You just have to experience it. That's ultimately where Paul gets us to in this passage. He he writes in chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. How do we know that we can expect to experience peace in every hill and every valley? First of all, because the scriptures tell us we can. And so what this means is when you're in the hills or you're in the valleys, don't settle for anxiety. Now, now most of us, we understand when life is down that we're going to be anxious. But if you've had some of these up moments as well, you know sometimes your greatest anxieties come from your greatest successes. You get the promotion and it's awesome and it's wonderful. Then you walk into work the first day and you think, what am I going to do? Now everyone's going to know I don't know what I'm doing. There's nowhere left to hide anymore. There's no one to blame my failures on. I am the last word now. You prayed for the child and now you have them and you hold them in the hospital and you look at them and you have this moment of realizing I am solely responsible for keeping you alive. What do I do? Right, your greatest success is you see that amount in your bank account, and it should be wonderful, and it should be awesome, but your thoughts are consumed with, I might lose all of this. What if the market dips? What if this changes? What if that changes? What if they lay me off before I'm fully vested? All of these kinds of worries and concerns. And what Paul tells us is both in the hills and the valleys, do not be anxious about anything. This is not a suggestion, it's a command. And we are really, really good at exempting ourselves from it. And we'll say things like, well, you know, I'm just kind of a, I'm kind of a worrier by nature. This is just the way we were raised. I'm, I'm not worrying, I'm just thinking about the future. My life is different. If Paul knew my situation, he would excuse me. But anxiety at, at, at its core is a sign that we don't trust God to handle our problems. It shows itself in two primary ways. So you might be sitting here this morning thinking, well, I'm not an anxious person. That's fine. But stress and worry are the primary ways that we experience anxiety. Francis Chan writes about these things. Worry implies that we don't quite trust God as big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. Stress says the things we are involved in are important enough to merit our impatience, our lack of grace towards others, and our tight grip of control. Basically, these two behaviors communicate that it's okay to sin and not trust God because the stuff in my life is somehow exceptional. Both worry and stress reek of arrogance. This is why Paul tells us, do not be anxious about anything. Because anxiety, stress, worry, these things poison your soul because they pull your attention, they pull your vision away from God and cause you to focus on all the issues of your life. And the more attention you give to those things, the bigger they grow in your view. And the bigger they grow, the smaller your view of God grows as well. You see, anxiety isn't just a mental or emotional issue at its core. It's a spiritual issue. And there may be ways that God leads you to work through your anxiety, right? There might be some significant traumas in your life. There might be other things that you work through through counseling. Some of you, there there might even be opportunities where a doctor is saying, hey, let's take some medicine to just kind of level this out for a while. Those are all well and good. Those are ways God gives grace to us. And yet we don't want to settle for simply managing our anxiety. Paul does not say, manage your anxiety so it doesn't cripple you. He says, do not be anxious about anything. There are no exceptions. There is no wiggle room. And and he seems to understand this is a very difficult command for us. So he gives us some very practical steps on how we replace anxiety with peace. 
The the first thing he tells us is in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We beat anxiety with prayer. Not by ignoring it, not simply by talking about it, not trying to manage it or to fix it. We can't work it away, we can't spend it away, we can't save it away, but we only can pray it away. These things bring temporary relief, but Paul says you beat it through prayer and petition. You find peace in every situation because you know God is bigger, God's in control of all of it, and God is at work in this moment. Whether it's high or low, he is near, he is here, and he is working. So we pray, Paul says, with hearts that are thankful. Thankful that God hears us. Thankful that God knows us. And as we begin to to understand by the power of his spirit working in us that God's bigger, God's stronger, and God has a plan for this moment, anxiety leaves. The circumstances don't necessarily change, right? So a lot of times when we're anxious, our primary prayer is, God, remove the sources of anxiety. Get rid of the boss, fix my spouse, fix my kids, fix my parents, fix my neighbors, I'd fix all of these things. And and yet, God often doesn't fix those things. Instead, he comes and works in your heart, which is really a good thing. Because if God answered every prayer for the removal of every source of anxiety, you and I would all be dead. Because at some point, now, now I know we don't like to think of this. At some point, you were someone's primary source of stress, worry, and anxiety, and they prayed for God to take you away. It's just, it's happened, right? Anybody have a kid? I promise you at some point, your kids have prayed, God, please, if not take them away, at least take away their voice, right? You've prayed this about your bosses. If you're a boss, I promise your employees have prayed it about you at some point. Jesus, take them. You work in a Christian organization. It doesn't matter. They just think it's a Christian prayer. Lord, it would be better for them to be absent from the body and present with you than to be here tormenting me anymore. So Jesus, take them. Right? And so, so God doesn't always do that. And, and thank God for that because my children need a father, right? So for those of you who prayed that for me, stop it. Pray for yourself. Okay? And, and this is what Paul is telling us here. It's fine to pray for your anxiety to leave. It's fine to pray for the the circumstances to leave. But the the presence of God means if everything stays the same from now until forever, Jesus still brings peace to you. Because his peace doesn't depend on your circumstances. His power and his presence, they're not relying on the power and presence of other people in your life. He's always bigger. He's always stronger. He's always greater. And when we pray... We carve out time and space in our lives to get this big picture of who God is. And so he begins to work and he begins to drive this anxiety out of us. You see, the the peace of Jesus is his presence. And Paul says that, that we can expect that peace. He says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, this is that point of like, I, I can only explain this for so long and in so many different ways. But eventually there comes a point with the peace of God where you simply have to experience it. And this is one of my my favorite, it sounds morbid, this is one of my favorite funeral passages. When I do funerals, memorial services, this is when I come to again and again and again because honestly, I'm not smart enough to tell grieving people how life gets better. Like there's only so many things you can say of I'm sorry, I feel your pain, God will be with you, God will be gracious. Paul doesn't promise us easy answers here. What he promises us is the power and the presence of Christ. 
He says, it's a peace that transcends your understanding. If it transcends my understanding, then I, I, I really know it transcends my ability to communicate it. I can never fully express to you the depth of peace that I have experienced in some of my life's lowest moments. I can only say it was, it was there. God brought peace. And, and I know so many of you, you, you've suffered in ways I could only imagine. And yet those of you I know who've walked with Jesus through those seasons, you know there was peace. When there should not have been, there was. And this is what Paul promises. He says, it's a peace that's beyond your ability to understand. You can't explain it. You can only experience it. And this peace, it's not just a feeling, but he says it, it actually goes to work for you. And, and that's because Jesus is our peace. And it's when he gives us peace, he gives us Jesus. And he guards our heart and our mind, right? our, our emotions and our intellect, our thoughts and our feelings. All of these are guarded by his peace. And when anxiety comes to attack, when stress and worry try to creep back in, it is the peace of God. It's Jesus himself who stands as your defender in those moments. It's not on you. It's not on your strength. It's not on your ability. But Paul does tell us this is a gift you receive. It's the power and presence of Christ in you. But now you get to live it out. And the way we live it out is we pray to receive his peace. And then we think about what his peace means to us. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We expect to experience peace, and so because of that, we focus on the ways the peace of God comes to us. Paul tells us, think about these things, right? In in the same way that God gives you your health and now trusts you to take care of it. He's given you a body, and he says, "Now, now you should eat at least mildly well, right? You should sleep. You should take care of yourself. You should do some of these sorts of things. It's the same thing with God's peace. He gives it to you. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it, but he gives it to us. But now we choose to live out of this new identity as those who are at peace with God. And one of the ways we do that is by thinking about all of these things that are true, that are admirable, that are pure, And as we focus on who God is and what he's doing in our world, it increases our our view, it expands our soul, and we're able to trust him in this moment as he guards our heart and mind with his peace. And Paul says, think about, he doesn't just mean, you know, like some of you this Thanksgiving, you're going to sit around a table and you're going to go around and tell everybody, say one thing you're thankful for. And, and, And we think that exercise is what Paul says here, but it's not. When he says think about, he means dwell on this meditate on this, think about this, speak about this, let it, let it get way down deep in the depths of your soul. And as you focus on the goodness and the grace of God in your life, in every hill and in every valley, you will have peace and you will walk in peace. This is why we pray. This is why we read the scriptures. It's why we sing. It's why we worship together. It's why we take time at the end of every service and say, hey, if you've got needs in your life, head back there to the prayer room. We're going to join you in these prayers. It's an opportunity for us to dwell on the goodness of God together. The last thing Paul tells us is we experience peace by following the the models of those who've gone before us. He says, whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've heard from me, put it into practice. Paul experiences peace in all the ups and downs. He's telling telling us, just you can do what I've done. When you're in these down moments of life, one of the lies that the enemy tells you is you're the only one who's ever been here before. Nobody else in this church has ever had the busted marriage you have. 
Nobody else has ever had the rebellious child that you have. No one else has ever been as rich and then as broke as you are. No one else has ever struggled to finish school. No one else has ever battled depression for years on end. No one else has been sick with no hope of healing. No one else has lost their spouse at the same age you lost yours. No one else has lost a child, a parent. No one else knows the heartache at work that you know. What Paul tells us is is you're always going to be placed in a community where there are people who have been where you are. And one of the ways that we experience the peace of God is by learning the stories of those who've gone before us. And and so that's why I, I have no problem telling you about the times in my life that things have not went well. Because I think it gives hope. Like, I know what it is when your family falls apart. Right? I know the pain of watching your parents split up. I know the pain of watching people you love dearly get sick and die. I know what it is to have your body fail in ways that are just endlessly frustrating. I know what it is to experience that sting of betrayal. And I've got no problem telling you those things because I know you're going to get there too eventually. I don't want you to. I don't wish that on you. And yet this is what Jesus tells us. In this world, you will have trouble. But the promise of his arrival is, I will be with you. And one day, I will perfectly and finally overcome the world. One day, we will live together in the space of no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sin, no more suffering. But between then and now, he's given us a promise of peace. And I know this morning, some of you, you are in difficult places. You've got bad news in the last few weeks. You've got problems you've been dealing with for years. There's just an underlying frustration of, I thought it would be better by now, and it's not. Right? And and into those spaces, the only thing I know to say is, Jesus promises a peace that transcends your understanding. And it transcends your circumstance. He's going to go deeper than your deepest sorrow. Right? That, that grief that, that feels so heavy on your chest, you can't even breathe. His peace is there. That depression that seems to physically hold you in bed in the morning. His peace is there. That relationship that seems like it's beyond repair. His peace is there. That dream that is is dead and seems like there is no hope of new life being breathed into it ever again. His peace is there. That home that's about to be foreclosed on, his peace is there. This lonely Thanksgiving that's coming up that reminds you of your mistakes and all that you've lost. His peace is there. The pain of disappointment that your child's life did not turn out how you hoped it would. His peace is there. The the pain you feel looking at the poor choices your parents have made, his peace is there and it's beyond your understanding. But it will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. This is the promise of the scriptures. It's it's been proven in so many of our lives here in this community and the lives of believers throughout history. Wherever Jesus is, his people know peace. Regardless of what's happening. 
And so this morning, I want to take a few moments and, and pray for us that that will be our experience today. Will you stand with me and we'll pray together? Jesus, we come and we confess our anxiety, we confess our stress and our worry. Lord, we ask that you would take those from our heart, replace them with your peace, replace them with thanksgiving, replace them with an awareness of your presence. Lord, I pray for those who are suffering greatly this morning. May your peace transcend their understanding. May you move deeply in their hearts and in their minds, bringing assurance to them that this circumstance has not caught you off guard. This job change, this relational difficulty, these struggles at school, the death of a dream, Lord, none of these things have surprised you. And you are at work in the midst of them. May we know that you are near us when we feel that we're in the highest heaven. And you are near us when we make our bed in the depths. And in all those spaces in between, may we know that you are here. And your presence is our peace. Jesus, bring peace to every mind this morning that's racing about what the future might hold. Bring peace to every heart that is weighed down by the, the poor choices, the broken, just the, the brokenness that their sin has brought into their life. Or bring peace into our worry about what will happen tomorrow or this week or later this year. May we trust that you are near and you are here. And in your presence is peace. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.